welcome to the Proelium, which means the battle. The Joshua Lectures are an extension of New Antioch's classical education model. The intent of these lectures is to expose a larger audience to the understanding of the Lordship of Christ over all spheres of life. These lectures aim to address various topics within the disciplines of theology, philosophy, education, medicine, law, and ethics. Classical education engages these topics in a robust manner with an eye upon the cultural landscape and a mind transformed by the scriptures. For a reformation of today's vocations and institutions, Christians must be courageous and equipped to evoke real change for Christ. To be courageous without being equipped leads to defeat. To be equipped without possessing courage leads to disaster. New Antioch extends an invitation to you to come and experience these lectures in person. Each presenter approaches their topic with a substantial background of experience and or formal training in their particular discipline and endeavors to provide a careful and rigorous application of the Christian faith to life. Each evening's lectures will afford those in attendance the opportunity to ask questions of the guest lecturer through a moderated Q&A period following the presentation. If you would like more information, please email us at admin at newantiochinstitute.com. All right, we are beginning Sex and Gender Lectures number four. There we go. <laughs> and now that we are recording, and uh, I want to just quickly review what uh, some characteristics of this lecture series that I mentioned at the very beginning, and yet some of you may not have heard, and just want to refresh your memories for those who did, that we are working our way currently through a theology of sex and gender, uh, and yet, we will also get eventually to contemporary issues. And, um, you know, in one sense, it, it'd be nice to just spend all of our time on, uh, on theology. And yet, we live in a day and age in which there is much confusion about these issues. And it's important that we have right thinking about many of the things that are going on in the world. And um, in our section under contemporary issues, we'll be going into a lot of detail on uh, the studies on things like sexual orientation and gender identity, where I've done uh, a fair amount of reading and teaching. And uh, some of the sort of the apologetic nature of this series will also come out in uh, this lecture, which is on attraction and dating. Attraction and dating. And so, in our last lecture, we considered two triads about gender. And the big idea was that God has reflected his good characteristics and attributes in male and female, but differentially. Uh, there are certain attributes of God that are more easily seen, um, are reflected greater in female and others in male. And that this really is good. This is a good thing because 
it creates a situation where we need one another. And, you know, the world may not like that idea because it, you know, even, th it even throws off the idea of being dependent upon God. Uh, but as Christians, this alone shouldn't be a concern for us that, you know, that there are, if you want to call it this, this would be very strong language. I'm not even sure if I would say it like this, but even if you were to say there are weaknesses to being male or weaknesses of being male, or sorry, of being male and being female, that, you know, that would be okay. That would be okay. We, we, we're weak people. We depend on God. We, we're, we know that we're not ultimately independent. And uh, this would simply serve to bind one another in good ways. Um, so as we come now to the idea of attraction, if in the last lecture we saw sort of the attributes of God reflected in male and female as sort of standing side by side, now we really want to turn them more deliberately towards one another in the normative relationship of marriage in society. Now, let me unpack that a little bit before I get into um, attraction. What do, what do I mean by the normativeness of marriage? And if anybody has heard me speak at any length, they'll probably laugh uh, at this word normative because I use it a lot. Uh, it's one of my favorite words. But it's, it's one of those words where I'm, I'm not sure I could use any other words, so I'm going to continue to use it. Uh, it it's, it's a far more important word, more, far more particular word than the word normal. Um, normative refers to a generalization that is not merely kind of an observational generalization, but something that is by design, okay? A generalization that is sort of baked into how God has created us. And this is the case for marriage. There is debate uh, in the church today, and, and maybe more so today than at any other point in Christian history, about just how normative marriage is. And the reason is that there is a lot of singleness in our world. Far more singleness than there has ever been in history. In fact, you would not have to go back uh, very far in time. And, and frankly, even nowadays, you could take a plane to many other societies where you would be hard-pressed to find single people. Whereas there are many, many single people in our society. And that is, you know, it's, 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 as we take that pressure, if you will, and then we interact with the scriptures where, you know, Paul says to the Corinthian church, you know, that I'm single. This is a good thing. I can focus uh, my life on God and not be distracted by, um, by the marriage relationship. Uh, but he also talks about, you know, because of the present circumstances he talks about and try to unpack that. What does that mean? Um, it probably refers to a time of turmoil that included famine, severe famine, and perhaps warfare that was coming upon the world at that time. There was even great earthquakes at that time. Um, and so to what degree should we bring that into Paul's meaning? And yet, as you look at the scope of the entire scriptures, it is certainly the case uh, that man and 
women were created generally and normatively for marriage. And so the way I framed this with my church just even last week, as I touched on some of the same issues that, I'll, that I'm speaking about here in these sex and gender uh, lectures, I, I put it this way. And, and maybe, maybe there's further refinements that could be made to this, uh, to this exhortation. But I said, listen, if God has revealed to you that you are to be celibate, uh, or maybe you'd even use the word of giftedness for that, then by all means, then that's good. Lean into that. Uh, and the fact that you do not have conflicts when it comes to serving the Lord. You don't have anything kind of drawing your attention away from the Lord. But I said to them too, that if God has not revealed that to you clearly, then you should, if you are single, you should keep praying for and expecting and aiming towards being married. That's, that's normative for, for most of us. And one of the ways you know that it's normative is by how many people in society, even though they may not be married, have had sexual relations. And the answer is, you know, almost everybody. Not quite, but almost everybody. And, and what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that God has put in us a desire for, uh, for a sexual relationship that is to be within marriage. And so, um, and again, if, you know, discipleship is costly and if the Lord hasn't provided for you a godly spouse, then, of course, you need to live a self-disciplined life, forsaking all sexual relationship until the time you're married. But, but it does speak to the normativity of marriage. So that being said... Uh, we're leaning into this idea of attraction, okay? How is it that the, the gendered aspects of male and female, I'm going to draw in the way that I unfolded those triads in the last lecture, how, it is, how is it that those things attract one another leading up to marriage? And then how should we, um, how should we understand and order our own lives, um, maybe even help others to order their lives when it comes to the premarital phase, uh, things like dating, courtship, and that sort of thing. So let's uh, build on the triads that I suggested in the last lecture. So with the male triad, it was promote, protect, provide. Promote, protect, provide. So if indeed that was a good triad, you would expect then that God creating male and female dyadic to not just be a pair, but to be, you know, together, that woman, women would desire and look for these aspects in men. And, I, and indeed, that is what you find in the studies on attraction. And I've, I've read um, considerably in the literature on, on attraction. And it's fascinating because you, you get a lot of sort of the stereotypes. But the stereotypes are, are real reflections of society. You know, we might not like stereotypes in society, and we may feel like they are too, um, they make for too strong of boundaries. Some people may want to get rid of them altogether. 
but there's reasons that these stereotypes have, have arisen. And they tell us something about human nature. So um, here's another triad that goes together with the male triad of promote, protect, provide. And that is that women are attracted to status, strength, and supply. Status, strength, and supply. So in regards to status, um, now, no, hang on, let me, let, me take a, let me take a second to just talk about love. <laughs> um, love is the attribute in attraction that is celebrated above all, L and, all else, and rightly so. Um, one could make a, an argument that love is one of the preeminent characteristics of God. Now, I think that good theology would suggest that all of God's characteristics are equal in him and are one with him, with his very being. Um, that's the idea of the simplicity of God in theology. Uh, but it does say in scripture that God is love and, and that the highest expression of Christian righteousness is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and certainly love has been, um, not only we see specific didactic teaching in scripture that we are to love our partners, um, And, and it's been celebrated in, in, in song and poetry for, you know, as long as, as man has been on the earth. Um, so I think that love is, is crucial, but I think that this love has, again, a gendered aspect to it. And that love is, and I'm sure you've heard this, but it, it just, it's important to be clear that love is more than simply a feeling, right? It ought to have uh, an emotive component to it. But it is more than feeling. And, uh, and so with that in mind, now let's look at this uh, triad of status, strength, and supply. Um, God has made women to think about, or perhaps in, maybe it's, it's more intuitive than that. I'm not sure how many women actually specifically think this through. So maybe it's more at the level of, of intuition that if they are to have children, that they will need someone who cares for them and is going to be able to lift them up. And I think that this, this promotional aspect, I didn't talk about this much in kind of the last lecture, but I think that you see the beginnings of this promotional aspect, even in the desire that a man has for a woman and how women respond to that. Now, a passage comes to my mind from, from, from Proverbs that I actually didn't look up, and so I don't know the reference, but there's a passage in Proverbs that talks about a number of things that sort of boggle the, the, the writer's mind, and one of them is the way of man with a woman. Now, it's a fascinating thing because we're not really given more than that. Okay, what do you mean? What part of the way of a man with a woman sort of makes you wonder is this great mystery. Um, but I, I think it's this. Here's, here's my attempt, all right? I think it's the way that women respond to men as men express their interest in women. Um, don't get me wrong. It is not as though every woman responds to every man. 
By no means. And it shouldn't be that way, all right? Women, you need to have high expectations of the men to whom you respond, okay? However, it is fascinating to me that I've heard multiple stories amongst those who people I know where men go after a woman that they desire and the woman at first goes, yeah, not, not, not interested. And the man keeps working at it, keeps, and, and eventually wins the woman. And it's, I guess, frequent, this, this, this trope, if you will. Uh, but there's something inherent in women that wants to be desired. And women respond to that. Now, how do I know that? Well, as I've mentioned before, um, when things go bad in society, they go bad along gendered categories, creational design that gets, it's fallen, goes bad, but it goes bad in a certain way. And you see this in women that actually get into bad patterns of relationships where, you know, they'll, they'll fall in love with a man that's bad news. And, and then like, okay, she needs to get out of that relationship. And maybe it's, maybe it's even a divorce because it's like, yeah, she, it, there's safety issues or all sorts of problems. And then like six months later, She's involved in another relationship that's almost exactly the same. And you're like, and, and this is, I mean, this happens over and over again. Now, there are a number of reasons why. I don't, I don't mean to completely explain this phenomenon, but with, with this thought. But one of the things that is incorporated into that is the fact that women respond to men and want to be desired. And there's, there's a responsiveness to this. Um, now I'm talking about status, but my, my get, getting back to my point about status and this idea of promoting, part of that promotion is the fact that here's this woman, or here's this man that, that you know, is attracted to me, and, and that, that promotes me. That makes me, you know, I put it very crassly, that makes me feel good. And each one of us desires to be desired. But I think that in women, this is a very strong response that's, that's gendered. So... Let me give you one last example of this before I move on. When it came to high school, I grew up in a public high school. And, you know, as, as I was looking around at, you know, which were the, you know, at what I thought at that time were the attractive females, you know, who were the kinds of men that those desirable females were drawn to? Well, it was the, it was the men at the top of the, of, of the pack, right? Whether they were the jocks or the, you know, whoever it was, but it was the ones who had status, even if I could look at them and go, those guys are no good. But they're attracted to the ones that have status. And, and it's because the ones who have status are then able to pull up uh, those who are, if you will, if you want to use this language, underneath them, under their headship. And this makes sense, though, if the woman is thinking not only about herself, but also about her children. Um, uh, I'm running out of time for little anecdotes, but I'll tell one more. One interesting anecdote is the fact that throughout history, uh, women have tended to be more, are, are more able to move up in social classes than men. Um, but when they do, it's very, in a very different way than men do. When men move up in social class, it's usually by climbing some sort of corporate ladder, which, depending on what time you lived in, was very, very difficult at times. If you lived in the medieval age, for instance, um, but as you exemplified, you know, excellence in your work, you could gain greater status. 
women were often gained greater, uh, were able to be promoted because men would fall in love with them, poor or not, status or not, and then the men would, would bring them up in, the, in their status. And they were actually more mobile. I mean, you get this in the story of Esther. Exact story in, in Esther. Okay, so women are attracted to, to status. Again, this is, you see this in the sociological studies. Um, but this is one of the things that women find attractive, men who have status. Uh, second of all, women are attracted to strength. So I'm going to talk, uh, touch on physical attractiveness a little bit here. Um, it's, of course, not surprising that not only do men find women attractive, but women find men attractive. But here's the thing, is that for women, the physical attractiveness of men is not nearly as important as for men, the physical attractiveness of women. Okay, I mean, they, they've studied this. This is, this is an empirical finding. Uh, but where there is, you know, to the degree that physical attraction is taking place towards men by women, the thing that they look for is, doesn't tend to be sort of, oh, that Hollywood star is cute. You know, you, I mean, you get that, but that's actually not normative. The normative thing that women tend to find attractive about men um, in the studies is actually a cue for strength. It's that V shape of the back. It's the, it's the chest to waist ratio. And they, they, they study this and it's, it's in, in every society. It's the way it is. Why? Well, it's a cue for strength. It's a cue for strength because women are attracted to strength. Now, this doesn't mean that, you know, women don't look at, you know, handsome face or whatever, but, but that is one of the cues that women look for, and this is, this is a, uh, a well-replicated finding in the, in the attraction studies. WCR, waist-chest ratio. But it's a visual key to strength. And again, this makes sense. Even evolutionists um, recognize this because evolutionists are interesting. It, we've arrived at this place in, in society right now where you've got people that, you know, they're kind of deniers of the whole idea of gender, right? Like, oh yes, we have different bodies, but other than that, you know, we're kind of blank slates. Everything else is just sort of made up by tradition and we can throw off those restraints. Evolutionists are actually closer in many respects to those who believe in the design of a creator because at least they know that there are certain things, they believe it's happened over millions and millions of years, but there's certain design factors built into, for instance, in this case, male and female that have led to the success of the race. So they believe in a certain sort of design, even though they think it's just all by, <laughs> by random chance. But, um, you know, they'll recognize that, listen, women are not only, you know, physically weaker than men, but if they're going to start having children, then, then they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable as they, you know, walk down the street with their, their two little toddlers, right? Who's going to take care of them? Well, they need a man who's strong. And so you've got some some sort of built-in biological aspects going on here to what women find attractive, strength. Now, even as I say some of these things, you might be starting to think, okay, what's the spiritual angle to this? Okay, I want you to keep thinking about that. We'll, we'll come back and I'll mention a few things about that later on. But maybe at this point, I'll simply say that when you think about the spiritual angle, we shouldn't only be thinking about sort of 
um, an invisible holiness of soul, but the fact that redemption redemption fills and fulfills creation, right? So if there are creational design things, when we are redeemed, it means that we can lean into these things and they are fulfilled in a, a whole and robust way. So um, in relation to status, women want somebody who is kind of a, a, a you know, a leader, somebody who, um, who can lift her up. She's looking for somebody who has strength that can protect her, but also she wants supply. Um, and again, this makes sense even from just a biological standpoint. Even the evolutionists would agree with this, that listen, if you're a woman, you start having children. And again, without birth control, and I'm not going to talk about birth control yet, uh, but without you know, significant constraints on fertility, uh, women are going to have, again, most, this is a generalization, most women are going to have children and probably not one or two. And, and so you've got all these children. Well, she's at home looking after the children. We need somebody to provide. We need somebody to provide. And so, you know, again, with the stereotype, you know, we could sort of negatively mention the example of, uh, you know, of the, of the gold digging model that marries somebody twice her age who's rich that, you know, so that she can have an easy life for forever. But again, where you see these sorts of things, they're fallen sinful examples of things that are still kind of bear some resemblance to creation. Um, yeah, to creational paradigms. Um, so for instance, in the story of Isaac and Rebecca, you've got uh, a man that now is 40 years of age. He's got lots of flocks and herds. He's wealthy, doesn't yet have a wife. So, well, he's a prime candidate for finding a wife. So, um, you know, he, his, Abraham sends somebody off to find um, uh, a wife for Isaac. Uh, Rebecca is this beautiful young woman. How old is she? There's been debate about that throughout history because of some strange, I believe it was Jewish interpretation at some point that she was actually like a child. Um, that's, that's not the case. She's probably around 20. Um, but but here, here you have a well-to-do 40-year-old finding an attractive 20-20-year-old. To, to marry. That's, that's throughout history, that's not that awkward. That's not that strange. Um, and in fact, I, I would, I, I'll throw in a little exhortation here for you. Okay, here it is. Your unwanted pastoral advice. Um, I, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's much problem with, with a woman marrying a man who's 10, 15, 20 years older. I, I, don't think that's a, I don't think that's a big deal. Uh, there will be some weaknesses to that. There'll be some pros and cons. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is there will definitely be some cons to that. Um, but like normatively throughout history, that's, that's not that abnormal. Um, so uh, something to keep in mind. Um, so if, uh, let me just speak to the men here for a minute because if this is what attracts women, then men, you're going to want to lean into some of these, some of these things. Okay. So when it comes to status, um, develop yourself as a leader, develop yourself as a leader, um, take advantage of opportunities 
that come your way. Don't be afraid to take those risks and those opportunities that may lead to higher standing in the world and greater influence for the cause of Jesus Christ. Okay, not, not to make yourself look good, but to use that influence for your family, for the cause of Christ. That's a good thing. Uh, work on your intercommunicational and soft skills, men. All right, yes, you can get quite a ways just doing a good job at your, at your job. But if you want to develop you know, some status, again, it's kind of a funny word to use in such a positive way, but um, if you want to develop, let's call it your influence, your godly influence in the world, you will need some soft skills, how to relate to one another, how to speak. Um, yeah, that's so, so lean into status, lean into strength too. Uh, and, and not just physical strength. Uh, I mean, often young men will go through a phase in their adolescence where they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to do their workouts. And, and I think that's, I think that's good. Actually, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and, and maybe, maybe I should get back at it, <laughs> but here's the thing is that there's strength is more than physical strength. And as men, you should cultivate male responsibility in the different areas that God gives you to and use your strength to serve others um, however you're able. So, I mean, even in really small ways, we live in a society where a lot of women don't want men to open the doors for them. Open a door for a woman. Um, it's a small way you can use your strength. Uh, you know, sometimes if I'm explaining this perspective to people that are really reticent to go there because it sounds so, I guess it sounds just so traditional to them. Um, I suppose it is, but it's, it's so in a good way. I'll, I'll say this. I'll say, listen, when it's snowing out here in, in Vancouver, it doesn't snow that much, but you know, when it's icy on the ground and everybody's trudging and, 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 uh, and I see a woman walking towards me on the snowy sidewalk, I get out of the way because I don't have to. Because even though I'm not a particularly strong man, if I wanted access to that sidewalk, I could push most of the women off. I'm stronger than most of the women. But what does strength do? Well, it serves. And so you get off the sidewalk. You serve others with the strength God provides. So if you're a man, you look for ways to serve others with the strength that God gives you. And that leads to supply. Work hard and have a plan for your vocation, men. Uh, if you don't have a specific plan, learn a trade. And, you know, don't feel like you need to work for one employer the rest of your life. Here's another piece of, you know, take it or leave it pastoral advice. <laughs> um, if you are somebody with skills, then lean into the fact that you are a valuable commodity. And if you're... If your employer doesn't value you by giving you the money that you feel you deserve or the other perks that you deserve, then find an employer who will. In fact, I know people that say that by changing jobs every three to five years, you will get the furthest ahead rather than staying with one employer for forever. Now, there's some pros and there's some, some cons, but you, you have yourself to market and um, take a few risks and, and for the sake of uh, of your family and to be able to supply well for them. All right. 
Let's move to attraction and, and, uh, and, and women. Um, when it comes to resplendence, men are attracted to female beauty. Uh, again, this goes wrong in the world pretty fast. Just look at the modern media, whether it's, whether it's social media, whether it's music videos, whether it's just walking through the mall. Um, but the fact itself that men are attracted to female beauty is not shallow. Beauty is a virtue. And, uh, and women have a beauty that men are, are attracted to. And again, I've already mentioned that, um, that even throughout history, it is actually one of the ways that women have sort of been able to better their lot in life is by, in fact, if, they're, if they are beautiful, they adore themselves. And, and, and sometimes a man will sort of lift them up out of their current uh, social uh, and economic class. And again, obviously, we, we know that this world is more than economics. We, there's a spiritual world that's far more important than merely what we see with our eyes. But um, let me, women, give you a beauty triad to work with. Okay, what is beauty? This is a triad that works for all beauty, but I think it also works for female beauty. And I'm going to let you, I'm not going to stand up here and say, listen, you know, this is what female beauty is and how you ought to um, cultivate that. All right, but I, I do want to give you something to work with at least. So here's the, the, the beauty triad. First of all, a form or coherence. I'll come back to this. That might seem a little obscure. Form or coherence. Second of all, symmetry or shape. And third, color. Okay. And this is actually, this triad's been recognized. Uh, Thomas Aquinas had a similar version of this triad. So this isn't just me pulling something out of thin air. Um, but, you know, when you look at modern beauty or modern art, you don't see much form or coherence. You don't see much purpose. And so you tend to have a lot of, in fact, ugliness. And a lot of it's actually deliberate ugliness, which is why it doesn't have that coherence, right? It's like, wow, you can improve things if you're just trying to do something beautiful, but you're not, clearly. Um, so there's something that sort of unifies whatever this thing is. Uh, and so, okay, let me throw out one thing when it comes to female beauty in regards to this uh, coherence or form. Um, there's... You know, yes, there is no shortage of women that are, you know, spend two, three hours on trying to look good and doing their makeup just so and, and et cetera, et cetera. But there is also very clearly to me a um, also a movement in society for women to actually not care about their beauty at all. And where it's like, you're, you know, you're seeing some young women walking down the street and you're like, you're, you're trying to look ugly. You're not ugly, but you're trying to look ugly. Like, it's clear. You're, you're deliberately acting, or not, well, it is acting, but you're deliberately presenting yourself in a way that's either, like, deliberately unfeminine or, you know, deliberately, yeah, ugly. Like, I don't know what other good way there is to put it, but there's just not that form, that coherence, that purpose, that stateliness there. So symmetry and shape, uh, color um, or some other things. So let me just mention one thing about color um, that, uh, that I think it's, I would never say women, you should wear, etc. You know, you should wear makeup. You, you should wear earrings. 
But I will say this. I'll be as bold to say this, that it is fitting when women ornament themselves. I'll go so far as to say that. It is fitting when women ornament themselves because they're taking their natural beauty. And I want you to hear women tonight, um, or if you're listening online afterwards, my point is not that you should be beautiful. The point is you are beautiful. And so lean into that. Ornament that, develop that, just like you would any other virtue. All right. So on one hand, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. A woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. So men, if you're looking for a woman, uh, she, you should find her attractive. But that, I hope that's not the only thing you, you find attractive about her. Uh, on the other hand, women, you are beautiful. Lean into that uh, and even use it to find yourself a husband. And then you, once you have found a husband, use it to serve your husband. Your beauty is actually something that your husband will, will love. And you can use that to, to serve him in the, um, in the marriage. Um, Restful. Men are attracted to women that are restful, uh, to women that are not harried or constantly anxious or busybodies, but women, to use that as a scriptural term, don't, don't be too nasty to me by using that term, that's a scriptural term, uh, but women that are, that know who they are know what their lot is in life, and they express some of that gentleness of soul that Peter talks about. The, that, that inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. There's an idea of quietness there. That doesn't mean women shouldn't speak. It doesn't mean that women shouldn't be strong. All right, The, the portrayal of the Proverbs 31 woman is a very strong woman. Uh, and yet, there is something about women in their gentleness and in their quietness that is attractive to men. Um, that this is the woman that you want making your home. Building, <laughs> to use the, an avian metaphor, to building the nest that is going to incubate your family and that, that heritage for you for the rest of your days and, and even when you are gone. Uh, and then lastly, um, men want a woman that is responsive. So I, I told you the, the anecdote of, of, the, uh, of the women that, you know, don't want to always hear the, some random stranger, you know, yell at them, hey, beautiful smile, right? And, but, but if you want to be attractive to men, you will be responsive. You will smile. You will help others, right? God created Eve to help Adam. Um, the anticipation of need is something that is very attractive to men um, because it shows that, oh, here's a woman who's a, who's a wonderful help to me and she can better my, you know, my lot in life and everything that I'm trying to, to achieve and we can build something together. That responsiveness, that sensitivity, uh, even you know, even, yeah, smiling and laughing is something that men will be attracted to. And so, you know, women use that, but also be careful with that because if you show too much responsiveness to the wrong kind of man, then yeah, <laughs> that, might, uh, that might be kind of awkward. But, um, but that is something that men find attractive, that responsiveness. So, some, some words about attraction. Um, let me mention a few things about dating now. Um, 
a word about categories, biblical categories. You've heard me say, if you've heard me lecture before, that it is so important that we read our, the scriptures, that we read our Bibles to get biblical categories and biblical language into our very minds and hearts. And this is important for when it comes to certain things that, you know, we do in this world. There's this thing called dating. And, and, uh, but, but we need to ask ourselves, well, is dating a biblical construct? And I don't mind using the word. Uh, maybe the word courtship would be a little closer to what we find in Scripture. But here's the categories that we need to use in Scripture. Uh, if you want to write down a reference where you see some of these categories, we're not going to go there right now. I'll make sure I finish on, uh, in t- on time here. But Deuteronomy 22, 20, uh, 22 to 29. Again, those two 22s there. Deuteronomy 22, 22 to 29. Has um, some of these different categories. But when it comes to the normativity of man in relationship to women, there are only a few categories of women. One category is your wife. Another category is your neighbor's wife. And then another category is your neighbor's daughter. All right? Those are the categories. And those are the categories that frame the premarital phase if you are attracted and interested in a woman, if you're a man. All right? Um, you need, whether you call it dating or you call it courtship, If you are interested, well, first of all, you can't be interested in a married woman. (laughs) Second of all, so we're talking about this narrow situation then where you are interested in a woman who is your neighbor's daughter. And that is the frame of reference that you need to have as you relate to this woman. That in scripture, the woman is always protected by and under the headship of a man. Always. This is important. And as this truth has been thrown off in society, we get the wreckage of society. All right? Um, just high amounts of, uh, whether it's, you know, remarriage or um, anxiety and depression in women, all sorts of things I think are related to this. And not only this, of course, but... Um, so, for instance, if you are a man and you are attracted to an unmarried woman, you need to think about the, the fact that she is under the headship of her father. And also that your interest, and perhaps uh, this will be clearer by thinking about the fact that she is your neighbor's daughter, Um, that that interest ought to be oriented towards marriage, all right? Because let's be just really honest. If you go up to a man and say, hey, listen, I'm interested in your daughter. And he says, what are your intentions? And you say, well, we're going to flirt a little and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we'll caress. And then, well, you know, but frankly, I I have no interest in marriage. What is he going to say? He said, get out of here now. You're not going to come anywhere near my daughter. Right? So, so when you frame things in the right way, it clarifies things like, first of all, intention. That all courtship and dating should be oriented towards marriage. If you're a man here, you do not pursue a woman 
in any kind of special way if you are not interested in marrying her, or, or at least that that could be a consideration. All right? Um, and you need to treat her as your sister, again, your neighbor's right, sister in the Lord or neighbor's daughter, um, until, she, until she is your wife. In fact, and you know, you may disagree and you may have pastors that wouldn't, you know, be quite so conservative as, as, as I am, but it seems to me that the best case scenario, the biblical scenario is actually you don't touch your, um, you know, the, the woman that you're dating uh, or, even, or even promised to until, until marriage. That, that, would be, that would be my suggestion. Um, it makes things really clear. It keeps to the categories in, in a great way. And it, um, yeah, that would be my suggestion. Now, so we've talked about the categories. Um, Yeah, maybe let me just. Um, yeah, maybe let's just roll this these categories into some some exhortations. Um, okay, so first of all, if you're a young person, I encourage you not to cultivate physicality, but rather friendship and fellowship. Okay, not physicality, but friendship and fellowship. And maybe I'm working too hard there to get the alliteration, but. You'll know what I mean. You have all sorts of time to fall into the beauty and, and wonder of the physical relationship within marriage and to develop that. Um, what is crucial at this stage is that you develop friendship and that you develop fellowship, a spiritual relationship and a, um, and a relationship that where you can be, where you can be friends. And, um, and that's, that's going to sound good to any man that is seeking a woman as um, in, in a dating relationship if you're talking to her, her father. Um, second of all, make decisions about marriage or any possible premarital relationship with those in your family as much as possible. Um, one of the things that it comes out also in the biblical categories, and I've only briefly alluded to it, is the fact that marriage is a family affair, not just a, an individual affair. Um, some people have stated this by saying that, you know, you, you don't just marry a person, you marry a family. Uh, there's some truth to that. And it's important that you that you bring the family along as much as possible in cultivating that relationship and building that relationship. Um, thirdly, whether you are a, a man or a woman, ask yourself whether you are developing the the aspects of these, I mean, use these triads if they're helpful that I've been developing, but knowing that you're going to be married, ask yourself, have I developed these dyadic strengths or skills that I need to have developed? 
All right, so young men, do you have a, a job with which you could provide for a wife and children? Young women, have you learned skills to do with managing a household? Um, you know, and then there's spiritual aspects to the triads that I mentioned as well, right? Is, and, and so, you know, men, not only is this woman, is she, you know, physically beautiful to you, but have you begun to look into the beauty of her spirit? Have you cultivated that in any way? Have you, have you read scripture together? Have you prayed together? Um, women, you know, not only is this man, do you, you know, is he a hard enough worker who's going to provide enough, supply enough for you and your children? Uh, but is he somebody that's looking to have dominion for Christ in the world? To use his skills for the Lord? Does he view his vocation as a holy thing, but not as an idol? So, I haven't said very much about dating and courtship, but I've tried to give you a couple of principles uh, that hopefully will guide you, whether you, you know, whether you call the premarital phase dating or courtship. Um, first of all, you know, don't cultivate physicality, cultivate friendship, cultivate uh, fellowship. Um, we also talked about the fact that you need to treat this other woman like she is someone's daughter. Uh, that's important. And that means that you would need, before you ever started any sort of formalized relationship, you would need to go to that, uh, that father and ask, um, you know, to court or date his daughter. Um, and then also understanding the family aspect of this and um, how that leans, leads into marriage. And that, that will be the topic for next week, um, our next lecture, talking about marriage itself. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Joshua Lectures series on sex, gender, and the image of God. You can find more lectures by going to newantiochinstitute.com and click on the tab Joshua Lectures or by finding us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform by searching for Proelium. If you'd like to know more about New Antioch Institute, you can email us at admin at newantiochinstitute.com. Thanks very much. Take care.